0: to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'd like to acknowledge two new books that have um, been released this week. Um, the first is D.P. Lyle's Sunshine State, and the second belongs to my guest tonight, Gabriel Valjean, whose book is called, co- and I posted it on my page, so if you don't remember this, you can go there and look at it. It's called The co- Company Files, and that's a semicolon, to the naming game. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my friend Gabriel. He was just on last month with um, a couple other people talking about Twitter uh, with uh, Claude Bouchard and Tori Eldridge. It was an enlightening conversation for me, but Gabriel is not only a writer. He has. Um, he is a prolific blogger and social media influencer. He reviews books. He is every reader and writer's best friend. Now, that's what I know about him. But what I learned about him is that he's had many, many different uh, professions. You know, he's done a lot of different things. But one of the things that interests me was... His love of Latin. He said it was work but fun. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, He's also a nurse. He also did his dissertation abroad in medieval studies. Um, I think that's amazing to me. Kind of speaks a, a few languages, maybe not fluently but well enough. And um, has two adorable cats. Um, if you go on Saturdays to Gabriel's Facebook page, you'll see Squeak and Squawk, his um, his feline companions. Gabriel, welcome back to Authors on the Air. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Pam. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be back again.
0: Thank you. I have to ask you about Latin, but first let me preface this by saying I'm a recovering Catholic. And when I started going <laughs> to the church, the mass was said in Latin, as were every other interaction that we had to do with the church. So, you know, I learned Latin via the mass and and could read some Latin In other areas, but have, of course, have since lost it because the mass changed into English. And then, of course, I got my eyes open and scrubbed them and said, no more church. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) how did you come upon Latin and why? Well, um, actually,
1: it actually had to do with the mass. When I was a child, um, I went with my grandmother and she went to a local church you know, I would stay with her on the weekends, and the Mass, um, by this point, Vatican II had already happened. But right. Because the church had, had a lot of people that were from a different generation, They on Sundays they would do different hours where they would have yes. the Mass in German, Lithuanian, Polish, and then they yep. would have in Latin. And with Latin, I was just mesmerized. I couldn't understand any of it. But you know, it just it added this layer of mysticism or mystique to it. You know, you had the incense, and there was somebody yep. somewhere in the church with a clicker that would tell you when to when to get up and down, because
0: right. <laughs> you know, unless you knew,
1: knew it, you know, memorized it. So when right. I went to high school, you know, we uh, had a requirement to do three years, and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to pick? So I picked Latin. My logic then was that I was very interested in the sciences and the, the, you know, the reasoning was that all your scientific nomenclature came from Latin. So I did that. And what I didn't know at the time, but I learned much later, was that Latin was the foundation for all your romance languages. Yes. So once, once you knew that, uh, you can recognize, you can parse through words The structure of Latin is a lot like German, you know, in the sense that it's very inflected. Uh, The sequencing of how you do your nouns and verbs and direct objects are still somewhat conveyed over in German. But everything else, um, you know, French, Italian, Spanish, all comes from Latin. The only caveat was that when I took Latin in high school, I learned classical Latin. So when I went to graduate school, I had to learn medieval Latin, which was actually harder for me because I had to learn where they broke all the rules or didn't understand the rules. So I struggled there. Um,
0: It's interesting because I think maybe two of the only professions that really use Latin anymore are in medicine and in law, or have I missed a few? Um, No, I think that's pretty accurate because there's a lot of legal
1: terms. You know, I mean, I think right. the one that most everybody, almost everybody knows is habeas corpus,
0: you know,
1: which quid, literally quid crow, means, crow, do and, you have the body?
0: Right. Crow, and you crow, uh, yep. you just said caveat, a caveat emptor. So, you know, there you go. It's, uh, yep. it's, Be, it's interesting. De minimis, beware. I, you know, hear that a lot, right? So, yes. Right. Um, interesting to me. But you've had so many different, you have so many different interests. Um, I did not recognize that mm. that um, you you know I knew that you went to graduate school. Um, yes. you you, but you also you've been a fitness instructor. You've been a real yoga instructor. You've run triathlons, mountain biking. You, you right. you're a personal trainer. You're an advanced scuba diver. So you called it a mosaic of a CV, and um, and you also have an engineering background and then you went and became yes. an r n so um you you've kind of done it all. How did you come to be a writer and and obviously you're a prolific reader from way back but um why crime fiction
1: well that that um well the short answer there is that you know I I found that if you're a reader all your life. I didn't think of myself as a writer. I just simply enjoyed literature no matter what I read. I liked crime fiction because I think it's more to real life. Um, you know, you have people with difficult situations. You have ethical dilemmas. Um, so I went there. The actual writing, I started out, you know, one year. my Actually, my first year as a nurse, I decided that I wanted to do short stories. So I wrote a short story every weekend, and one of the short stories actually became the basis for my first novel, uh, which is Roma Underground, and that series is set in Italy, Um, and some of my travels kind of informed, you know, that series, but Mm -hmm. to be honest, um, the writing actually, I became more and more serious about it when I got sick, and I was dealing with radiation, and I literally was writing to avoid being depressed, um, so then I found out that, you know, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Um, I had a lot of positive responses to it. Um, then I started getting published, uh, the short stories. Then I found a publisher for, you know, my first series. And they also took on my second series, which is, uh, Winter Goose Publishing. So it's, it's kind of an accidental road, to be honest. You know, is I, I see a in... lot of interviews
0: is it one you're enjoying though? Are you enjoying this road?
1: Oh, no, I'm I'm enjoying it. Um, but like I said, you know, it was accidental because I really never saw myself as a writer. You know, I read these interviews where, you know, writers I admire, and, you know, I, I read them saying, oh, well, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, you know, Bruce Coffin is a good example. He said, yep. you know, he knew from the time he was 12, he wanted to be a writer. read Stephen King, I think it was Salem's Lot, and that inspired him. Now, obviously, he went on to be a cop, but with me, I just simply read, and I started enjoying and having fun. So, you know, I'm I'm not somebody that wrote my first novel in crayons at
0: four or
1: six or seven (laughs) years old.
0: (laughs) It's interesting to me that when I read your bio on your website, and by the way, listeners, that's Gabriel Valjan, V-A-L-J-A-N dot com. If you go to his bio, the bio reads like um, a short story. It's very interesting. It's very informative, and it's it's very it's prose unlike I've ever seen on any author's website. It's absolutely wonderful. And you. um, you're 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 so honest and so you know, just right in the moment about your, your life and the things that you've done, but you also have a very old world style of writing so that if someone is okay. not familiar with the arts, they will not understand a lot of what you're talking about. So, for example, okay. you say it's like the riddle of identity that begins on the road with Oedipus and emerges from the labyrinth as if we were a character in a Borgia story. So I don't know a whole lot of writers who would open their bio with those lines. And it's absolutely just exquisite to read. I think, you know, I honestly think that
1: for all writers, not just me, when they write, I think what they convey to the world, regardless of their genre. um, And I honestly, I really dislike genre distinctions, but I think all writers eventually convey the world that they absorb through their reading. And I think for most people who aren't writers, what they absorb in their reading comes out in their choice of vocabulary. So a lot of times when I write stuff and I turn a phrase, I'm not aware of what I'm doing. <laughs> I just simply write. You know, I hope that makes sense.
0: I, it does make sense. it makes perfect sense to me because um like you i'm I'm not fond of genres, and I want to kick Amazon and the patoot for for mm-hmm. dividing everything up because you remember when we went to a a bookstore, you would just go in and be fiction non fiction self help and and cookbooks you know? right. and that was it everything right, was kind of right. all together, and I kind of like that because it I think it opened our eyes to more choices and versus pigeonholing us into a specific genre. So I will say the only thing I I don't read is horror because it scares me. I'm a wuss. But I I love all genres of writing. Old and new. Well, I
1: think the thing is that, you know, it makes sense to have those kind of distinctions in a store so you can find something where I – Get uncomfortable is I feel that people, uh, literary Asians and other people, look down at genres or certain genres as if it weren't serious literature. And that's just simply wrong. I mean, or if you're popular and a lot of people are reading you, you can't be serious or offer something, you know, of some nugget of wisdom or something. And I think that's wrong. I mean, Stephen King's very popular. He entertains people, he um takes them on a journey. Charles mm-hmm. Dickens, at one point, you know I mean people used to wait on the pier here in Boston for his books to come in from England right um certainly popular, but we learn a lot about Dickens you know the world of nineteenth century poverty, all these social issues, but yet that was once popular literature
0: so well, conversely, I want to say that the most popular authors. Don't necessarily always have a nugget to offer, offer and conversely, right. are not are not always well written books. Uh, many are formulaic, mm-hmm. and I I, I find yes. when I'm speaking to people and I say, you know, who are your favorite authors? They are unable to name but just a few, and I think how sad that you've not tried these. If I tell someone I'm, I'm reading a fantasy book in the young adult.
1: Okay.
0: Um, age group, and they say, "Oh no, I I don't like fantasy at all." And so I'll say, "Did you like the Wild Wild West? And did you like, you know, the uh, right?" I name all these shows, the, you I'm, know, and and, and they right. say, "Yeah, yeah, that was great." And I said, "But that's fantasy. That's all, you know, the steampunk and and so on." And and people don't recognize that, and that for me that makes me sad because I think there are so many wonderful worlds to explore in all the different genres that we have, and including romance and science fiction and fantasy and, you know, their sub-genres, mystery, thriller, cozy, whatever it happens to be. There's so much wonderful writing out there, so much talent. And to consign yourself only to, you know, two or three writers in a single genre, I, I think you miss out on so much. So I want to talk to you now about your current okay. release, this is part two, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in your in it's, your series. It's book two. Book two. It's book two um, in the series. In the company files, tell us about the right. company first of all, Gabriel, please. Okay, so the
1: company company is actually a euphemism for the CIA. Right. Um, so this particular series, the first one. Um, the first one was called the Good Man, and that was set in 1948 Vienna. This is the year that the CIA was formed out of the OSS, the uh, yeah, I- Office of Strategic Services, and really it was the first time in in I would say American history where we actually formed an intelligence agency. We did have experience in spycraft before that, you know, through the Civil War, World War One, and all that, but because of the nature of World War II we realized or the U.S. government realized that they actually had to have a serious dedication to uh, foreign intelligence hence the CIA in Vienna the good man opens up with two characters Jack and Walker Jack is the, um, the boss the manager, is his subordinate they've been tasked to interview former Nazis and this actually happened in, um, in a CIA um, operation called Paperclip, where they interviewed former Nazis to find out what they knew about the Soviets, because now in post-World War II, we were racing to figure out nuclear weapons, atomic bombs, and such. So it's, it's interesting that here we are in World War II. Russia was our ally during the war. Now they've become our enemy. And we're now making good with our enemies, the Nazis, to figure out how to leverage the field against our former ally. So the good man takes you through a uh, an adventure where they want to interview Nazis, but somebody's killing them, and they're trying to. We're we're entering an ethical situation because they understand why somebody's killing them, but they also have to stop the person because they have a mission, and that's to interview them, co opt them. And this, unfortunately, actually happened where the U.S. Uh, gave sanctuary to people with uh, right. a Nazi past. That's so right. that's book one. Book two brings the CIA to the United States. Back home, this story starts out in Hollywood, where a screenwriter has been murdered or found murdered, and – we start to realize that there, there, there's more to this murder. Now, the story occurs in 1950 or 1951. McCarthy has just started the ball rolling in terms of the Red scare. Mm-hmm. So what I think a lot of people don't realize was that when the CIA came back, the major rival that they had was J. Edgar Hoover, uh, the head of the FBI, And he wanted to control everything. So there's that rivalry that starts in book two. And book two takes you – has our character Walker going undercover as a screenwriter to figure out what was going on, why did this guy get murdered, who killed him, and why. Meanwhile, he's discovering this whole world of screenwriters that are blacklisted. But somehow the studio on one end is saying, you know, we're anti-communist. But they basically are hiring the writers in the back of the room, as long as they change the names and paying them to still write scripts. So it's you know there's kind of that um, two faced reality. And now, my character Walker, in many ways, is a uh, he's he's slowly starting to realize that he's a writer and he enjoys it.
0: Interesting. Um, it it must have been research intensive for you to go back to the to the beginning of the CIA. And I might be wrong about this, but the CIA is not really allowed to work on American soil, are they?
1: Um, the directive for many years that it wasn't, and I think at face value they're not supposed to. But interestingly enough, um, when it comes abroad with terrorism, uh, both the FBI and the CIA have worked together um, which is kind of interesting because the FBI originally was domestic, um, right. so there now there's kind of this overlap. But yes, to answer your question, the CIA originally was mandated only on foreign intelligence.
0: Um, how much research did you do, Gabriel, on these books?
1: I I did a lot of research between both books. The the real challenge with book two in the naming game was to realize how much of L.A. has changed. Uh, I went to USC in the 80s, and um, so I was constantly, you know, looking to see if the streets were the same. If I mentioned a nightclub, um, I wanted to make sure I had the location right because sometimes nightclubs moved or they changed names. Um, Same thing with the streets, finding out the names of highways. Um, So... L.A. at that point in 1950 did not have these, um, you know, if you go to drive down to uh, downtown L.A. from Burbank or Pasadena, you would go through these little tunnels, and then you would come up on the other side. That didn't exist in 1950. Um, wow. Same thing with Malibu. Malibu was still uh, an artist colony. There, was, there wasn't there was even plumbing uh, in Malibu. It was... Um, Highway One, or what became PCH, um, had several different names. So I, I was, you know, trying to be accurate about the street names, what you would see, sure. uh, what things were called, um, and it it got frustrating at times. But I, I hopefully did it right.
0: I bet, very... I bet. Um, you've gotten such great reviews on both of these books. Um, people really seem to Thank enjoy you. them, and. Um, I I want to I was wondering if there would be a a book 3 in the company series. There is a book 3.
1: Um it's called Diminished Fifth. And the um the title actually has two different meanings. Uh in music diminished fifth is often referred to as the devil's music. Yep, but diminished fifth is also a legal concept about whether or not you can crimp inc- to what degree you can incriminate yourself in other words the fifth amendment this particular story occurs in off broadway in new york and one of the characters that i had in book one tanya who was not in book two comes back and she she's a uh, a war refugee uh, also a refugee from stalin um met her in Vienna. She's now a teenager, and she's sort of, you know, my version of a femme fatale. So she shows up in the third book.
0: It sounds wonderful. I want to talk to you, though, about your Roma series, because this is is completely different. Yes. So where did the Roma series... Where did this one come from, well, from from, from, it, from your love of Italy?
1: It's my love of Italy. Um, I've traveled there several times. Um, I went there initially as a teenager, fell in love with it. Um, oh, yeah. Then I went back, um, and I visited, you know, different sections of the country. Yes. So um, there's five books in the Roma series right now. There will be more. The uh, initial book, Roma Underground, is about archaeological thefts that occur uh, beneath the city. Um, you'll find in some of the major cities like Naples, Rome, and I'm, I'm blanking on a third one, there are amateurs that go underneath and they map the city and they tend to find archaeological things from you know 2,000 years ago and they report them and the museums come in and you know, they tag things and, you know, they investigate everything. So somebody's stealing stuff from the underground. So that's the basis of the first book, which was inspired by a short story I wrote. And I just had fun creating the female character who's a forensic accountant who has her own, her own money. She's on the lam from a covert agency in the U.S. And she meets um, – she has a boyfriend. She meets his friends. They happen to work with the Italian police. Uh, the financial police in particular. So learning about the Italian, um, I don't want to say criminal justice system, but their law enforcement was very, very interesting. So each book is a different adventure occurring in a different city. Two of them occur in Boston. Uh, the second one's in Boston. The third one is in Milan. The fourth one is in Naples. The fifth one, uh, corporate citizen, is in Boston. And in each one of them, you get to see aspects of Italian culture, food, uh, different parts of Italy.
0: Oh, my God. Um, Little Italy ma- in Boston is just amazing, too. <laughs> Little Italy yes. in Boston is, is fabulous. Some of the best restaurants, Italian restaurants I've ever been to. And, of course, being in Italy and eating is a whole other experience. It's a beautiful country. Right. And I, The people are lovely. And I
1: try to convey that. You know, I also try to convey other issues. That are occurring in Italy It's not it's just about organized crime It's not about stereotypes There's, there's a lot of political issues um, Dealing with the legacy Of terrorism in the years of lead Which is in the yep. third book It's also yep. dealing with the north and south Divide that's still there You know the people in Milan Look differently at the people in the south The people in the south right. look differently At the people in the north So and there's humor too It's not all dark and serious i mean there is some humor um i try in all my books to write about relationships um in addition to whatever the mystery or the crime is
0: i want to talk to you about your book reviews you um okay you are very generous to all of writers that I know of, you were just exceptionally generous. You write reviews when I—I I know when we published the Betrayed anthology, you did a just a lovely review for us, and I was very surprised because I absolutely would have sent you the book, um, but I, and I had no idea that you did that. I—I want to thank you first of all for that because it meant an awful lot to me. Um, that book is very special <laughs> to me, but um, but. You, um, you are, I think, a reader and a writer's friend. I said that earlier because your reviews benefit those who don't, in a lot of cases, don't get very many reviews. And reviews, as we know in this business, are very important on Amazon and, and Goodreads. But you, um, you blog about books that you like. You review. Uh, you also are a social media wizard. I have I have asked you to come on the Twitter panel because your tweets are so succinct and so perfect, and I always think I'm well, going to go, I'm going to follow you and do whatever you do on Twitter. I'm going to do the same thing on my Twitter, but I just run out of time, and I can't do it. Remember I told you that? I have to just do Twitter from my from my Facebook page. <laughs> just you know, I have to have it migrate over automatically. I'm just not any good at it, and I don't have time.
1: Well, I try you know as a writer i I'm acutely aware how hard it is to get visibility i mean yes. there you know the, on the plus side, it's a fantastic time to be an author um you know there are people that are self publishing but there's also a lot of people coming out in deep presses, you know in addition to the big five and right. there's just so much out there, and it's yes. you know for a reader, it's easy to get overwhelmed and you know there are many sites out there where they do reviews uh bolo books is one of them you know they kind of curate you know if you like a certain genre you know i just simply try to be helpful um you know i mean I, i i'm honest about what i appreciate um and in terms of twitter i understand that social media is difficult for a lot of people um I always tell people just find what you're comfortable with and what you enjoy and what you understand. But with right. Twitter, I just simply try to convey information. And you know whether it's a conference or a new release or um, one of the things I enjoy doing um, is you know a thing I try to do on Saturdays also, but it conflicts with the cats because the cats get their own day. Um, Absolutely. I do this thing called seen in the seen in the wild, where if right. I see a book in a bookstore, I'll take a picture of it. And you know, that's the other thing too is that um a lot of authors who have indie presses can't get in the bookstores. So yes. I you know, I try to take pictures in the library and you know, sometimes being in the library is a great thing because you know it's there and people, you know, can
0: can Will borrow so. you and sure. you,
1: it's another way of feeling like you made it because about you know, the library stocks you
0: now. Right. Uh, well, so let me ask you this. This is the thing that I, I'm, I'm often frustrated by. Uh, indie bookstores, independent bookstores are always saying, support your indie bookstore. Uh, and, yeah, I yes. and I
1: do.
0: And I think it's important to do that. But I also think it's important to support, you know, Barnes and Noble and what used to be Borders and, and other bookstores because bookstores have books. And I and libraries right. go to libraries go to used bookstores if you can't afford uh, a, a you know a regular bookstore and you can't not near a library, but it, pertaining to especially to independent bookstores, why do they not then carry independently published books or small press books? It seems to me it's the perfect match up. Yes, carry the big names I would
1: think the so. titles.
0: Yeah. You know but why
1: I why think do you... there, I think the- the the topic is multifaceted in the sense that with the brick and mortar stores like Barnes and Noble and whatever other chains are out there, mm-hmm. the big five you know I found this often talking to somebody was that if you walk into a Barnes and Noble and you see a table there with a author and their latest book, right. the publisher will have paid for that table. Uh, I I don't know what the amount is, but they will have paid for that. So bookstores are in the game of moving books and making money where, uh, you know, with the brick and mortar, I think they have guaranteed money when they have the big, big five come in with George Martin or whoever the big mega seller is, they know they're going to sell that. I feel that um, with the small presses, I get the impression that the brick and mortar stores feel like they're taking a chance, that they're not going to move inventory. Some of them, I'm not saying brick and mortar, but some of the indie stores will do stuff on consignment, um, which is, you know, that's, it's a difficult deal because it is. an author sure. has to come in with their own books. Sometimes the publisher will supply them, but, you know, then you start thinking about who's making money here. Right. Um stores like Barnes and Noble, if I understood correctly, they make about sixty percent of what's what the um the tag is on the on the book, so that mm-hmm. leaves the other forty between the publisher and the and the author. If you're right. doing stuff on consignment um I dealt with one store that wanted eighty percent wow. meaning they got eighty percent of of the ticker price ticket price, and that left twenty percent between me and the publisher now. If I had copies of the book, then then that twenty percent would be mine. So it's it's kind of like diminishing returns. It is, and it's frustrating because, as you said, you're hearing stores say support us, but right. you know, I I really question and want to know how much they're really supporting you know the smaller authors. And when I say Especially support, in their you neighborhood. Know,
0: yes displaying their books, well, the, the, one table saying, these are the authors in my community. These are the, you know, or these are right. new independently published authors. We want you to try them. And if they would do that, it would well, be it's lovely. Not, it's, if they,
1: it's, it's not only that, it's if also, you know, will they invite them into the store to do a reading or maybe to have four or five authors on a panel right. so people right. can know? Because when right. you're in a neighborhood, you know, I mean, I live in a big city, Boston, but basically I'm in the South End. I know writers, you know, if I see them, you know, walking around, if you see them in a bookstore and you hear them having a conversation, you put a face to a name, you make that yes. connection, you, you like them, yes. you you know, you're like, oh, this person sounded really cool, I'm going to go check out their book. Right. Um, yes, it's a sale, but it's a connection. It is if a connection. You, Don't see, if you don't see the face or the name, you know, you're kind of going on a gamble. I think the one advantage that Amazon has offered people is, you know, that feature of look inside, you know, you can read a couple of pages and then figure out if it's for you.
0: And it's interesting you say that, Gabriel, because the fact of the matter is, uh, someone like myself, I have an embarrassment of riches. I get a lot of books sent to me, from from mostly publishing houses or publicists, and, and sometimes authors too. And I have to say, look inside works for me because I read so much that um, I I really just want to read the best of the best, and um, right. uh, you know, if it doesn't grab me in the I have to tell you, in the first five pages, I'm gone i, I because there are, there's another book for me to move on to, so I'm right I, and I,
1: some people aren't even some people aren't even that generous. it's the first oh. page or the first paragraph.
0: Yeah, sometimes so. I mean I try to go if I'm if I'm not into it, I try to get through the first chapter and then if I'm groaning, right. uh, I just I have to say <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that, you know. But um but right. and incidentally for those of you listening who are self published or independently published or small press, you're welcome to come on Authors on the Air anytime. That's why this show exists. Gabriel, we're out of time. Please tell everyone where they can okay. find you.
1: Okay, so you can find me at Twitter. It's uh, the at sign G V A L J A N. Uh, my website is www.gabrielvaljan, uh, all one word, dot com. I also have a uh, blog uh, that's Gabrielswarf at WordPress dot com. So I think that covers it.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. I could talk to you for hours because you're so smart, and I always learn something whenever I speak to you. Thank you for being with me. Listeners, go to Gabriel's website, check out his books. Thank you for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Thanks, Gabriel. See you later. Mm -hmm.